For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Jackson in the gun. Freeman stands to his right. Freeman gets a fake. Big rush. He throws it. And it's a Bill Hillgrove on the call for the Steelers Radio Network. And what a finish in Pittsburgh as the Steelers pull themselves off the mat like Rocky in the original Rocky or Rocky 2 or Rocky. I assume he pulled himself off the mat in all of them. It wouldn't have been very good if he wasn't pulling himself off the mat. But that's what the Steelers did again. Mike, I said it last week. I didn't have the guts to pick them. I picked them to cover. I didn't have the guts to pick them to win. I wish I had. I've lived in and around Pittsburgh almost all of my life. And I know this team well. When you write them off, that's when they sting you. And they stung everybody on Sunday with that win over the Baltimore Ravens. And, you know, like Rocky, when we were all standing up in the movie theater for Rocky to get up, I wonder if Pittsburgh Steelers fans were standing up in their living room watching their team be Rocky and come back into this one. Unbelievable. What was it, Ben's 39th, fourth quarter overtime comeback? I mean, we have counted, I know I have, counted this team out saying they don't score enough. They can't do enough on offense to compete in the AFC yet. Here they are. They just find a way. You know, good defense certainly yesterday. Ben making some plays in the second half. You think they're dead and gone. Defense getting after Lamar Jackson for seven sacks. So they're that they're that team you just can't kill. They're the Pittsburgh Steelers, man. They're the Pittsburgh Steelers. So the expectation, I guess, even when we don't think anything of it, is that they're going to find a way to be relevant. And that. I'm looking at their record now. It's 6-5-1. and one. And it really is amazing with all the teams bunched together. One week changes everything. And for them to stop the bleeding after getting to 5-3 and three and then falling to 5-5-1, five, five and one, you get to 6-5-1, and one, all those 6-6 six and six teams, see you later. We don't have to worry about tiebreakers, 
division records, conference records, common opponents, whatever. All we got to do is just have that little half game. So see you Browns, see you Raiders, see you Broncos. We don't have to get into the mathematics. We got that. We got that tie. That now, now of course, that tie can end up. That, that tie can end up being the thing that puts them on the wrong side right. of somebody like the Colts. But I just have a feeling, one way or the other, that tie against the Lions when Ben Roethlisberger ended up COVID positive the night before the game, they had to go with Mason Rudolph, and and it didn't work out. I have a feeling that's going to resonate when we're having this conversation five weeks from today and picking up the pieces of the final seating in the AFC. Yeah, remember in that game that D- Detroit had a ball in the air in overtime on a field goal that wasn't good. It could have been a loss for Pittsburgh. Now, finally, Detroit got a win yesterday. But, yeah, so even though a tie is, uh, is not the greatest thing in the world, but you're right, it can hook for you either way. You just have to kind of wait and see how it plays out. But to your point, that is where we are. Every, every division leader, I believe, in the AFC is eight and sitting at 8-4. and four. The Patriots, old Sly Bill, is a number one seed in the AFC right now. But it's tough to hold anything as for good right now in the NFL, right? Because uh, you said, week in and week out, everything changes. It's, it's been an amazing year. Nobody has really kind of, I know Arizona's, you know, the top dog over in the NFC, but nobody's really got that huge lead in either conference where you know they're just going to walk away with it and we'll see in the playoffs. This is getting really, really fun between who the division leaders are, and especially with that extra spot in the playoffs now, that seven team of where it's going to come from and what that record may actually be for the seven team. And we could have had overtime in Pittsburgh, which would not have been good for the Steelers turning around, playing on a short week. I mean, when you think of the late afternoon start, if they would have gone beyond 60 minutes and then they have to play Thursday night, that really could have taken some of the steam out of them. And maybe that would have been or should have been or could have been one of the factors for John Harbaugh as the coach of the Ravens decided to go for two and try to steal the win instead of playing for overtime. Let's hear from Harbaugh after the game with his decision to go for two, get the win, or as it turned out, the loss. What went into the decision-making to go for two instead of just... Try to win the game right there. We were pretty much out of corners, you know, at that point in time. So there's an opportunity to try to win the game right there. And you know, that makes sense. I mean, if, if, you, if you aren't going to be able to defend the Steelers and they win the toss, it's over anyway. But, but I also think it, it, it's analytics-driven, and they almost got it. You can't fault them for it. They almost got it. It wasn't a bad throw. I mean, it was just a little, just a little bit. Maybe, you know, it hits those gloves. You know how those gloves are, Mike. They're like uh, the old uh, Velcro. Uh, you know, they just, boom, it's, it catch. It's right on there. It's amazing it didn't stick to the glove. But, you know, they, they did what they had to do, and this is what they do. Something Mike Tomlin said after the game, and we played it on Football Night in America. The Ravens are predictable in that they play the analytics game aggressively. And that's one of the pro- I'm not I don't I, I don't want to get the analytics mafia after me. It's too early on a Monday morning. It's the holiday season. I, I'm extending an olive ah. branch to the analytics mafia. But but when you are, Mike, all in all the time with whatever the formula tells you to do, and you don't make your decision based on other factors. And the irony here is Harbaugh did use other factors. I don't have any corners to justify the decision he probably would have made anyway. Because Tomlin said they're predictable because they are so wedded to the analytics. And it occurred to me the best way to be 
is sometimes we use a formula, sometimes we don't. You won't know until we do it. That's part of that chess game that you need to play. Because the Steelers probably assume the entire drive we're going to be going for that we're going to be defending to we're, we're we're ready we know what our play is going to be we're ready to go because we know how the ravens are thing about it is mike is i i agree with what you're saying but that play was there right i mean yeah. as much as you want to say they knew it was coming and they're consistently go with the analytics so we knew they go for two the play was there the, the, the play was absolutely there. A little more air touch by Lamar Jackson or maybe a knock the ball up. We've seen Andrews make incredible catches before. T.J. Watt did a nice job. Listen, that play fake is supposed to take T.J. Watt down the line, right? But T.J. Watt, that, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to sucker that defense, that, that outside man, all the way down the line thinking it's a run. T.J. does a nice job breaking off of that and doing the right thing. That's because why he's an all-pro player is coming off that and saying, no, 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 I, I have responsibility. That's where you try and get defenders out of their responsibility, Mike, is you kind of let their eyes take them away from what they're supposed to do. And you see that action going the other way. They're expecting that backside guy in TJ to crash down and try and get the run. But TJ, playing his responsibility is what you're supposed to do. Play your responsibility. You're the outside man. You can't let anybody get outside of you. And he doesn't let Lamar get outside of him. So Lamar has to put a little something on the ball maybe he doesn't want to. Uh, and Mark, you know, doesn't maybe tip that ball to himself, uh, you know, for, for the catch. So the play was there. T.J. Watt did a great job of making sure he mucked it up a little bit. But at the end of the day, it was there. A, a softer touch pass, a couple more inches in. And it's there. So, I, I listen, and it didn't work. Kudos to Pittsburgh. You know, they get the win. They deserve the win, obviously. A heck of a comeback for them. But I, I, I get what you're saying. It's, it's kind of like they do analytics all the time. Listen, dealer has a seven or more, and I have 16. I'm hitting every single time. It's never changing. I'm not having a gut feeling or anything. I'm hitting on 16. Um, you know, and, and Harbaugh is basically saying, if the analytics say do this, this is what we're doing. But the twist here was, just like counting cards, he was counting his corners, and that's where he was even more determined yeah. that he was going to go right. for it in that spot. And the other thing that T.J. Watt did there is not just rushing and hurrying and forcing, but Lamar Jackson probably would have preferred to just peel off after that fake handoff and run it into the end zone. That's a higher percentage play with Lamar Jackson than putting the ball in the air and you don't know what's going to happen. And if it's off by just a hair, if Lamar Jackson has a lane, nobody's stopping him. So if T.J. Watt bites, there's a chance that he doesn't even throw the ball. There's a chance he just takes off and he gets the pylon before anybody else can get to him. And Watt disrupted that as well. And Watt, we got to talk about Watt for a second from the perspective of a week ago today, he got placed on the COVID reserve list. And he's the first guy to make it back after only five days. And this is one of the little quirks of the protocol because you're tested once a week. He may have very well had it just after he was tested right after week 11, doesn't get tested again until right after week 12. Maybe he's on the back end of it then. And that's what potentially allows him to get the two negatives he needed, one on Friday, and we reported Friday night he had gotten a negative, and people were like, holy crap, how did he get a negative four days later? He did, and he got another one Saturday, and what a difference he made. Three and a half sacks, 
and he joins Reggie White as the only players in NFL history. This is amazing to me. Reggie White and T.J. Watt, 13 or more sacks in four straight seasons. A two-member club, and anytime the other guy in the club with you is Reggie White, that's a pretty good club to be in, Mike. Uh, incredible. You, you see what he means to this defense. You know, we talk about like a, a Christy McCaffrey, what he means to the Carolina offense, and then what was happening to that offense, who was gone. It's kind of T.J. Watt on the Pittsburgh defense because he gives you so much. Uh, if it's not just sacks, you know, it's plays behind the line of scrimmage. It's just doing the right thing. It's a little thing there. How many times have we seen Lamar Jackson break contain? How many times? I mean, and, and for T.J. Watt to be fundamentally sound. See, these are the little things. You just say, oh, T.J. Watt, he's a great player. He's going to make a great play. Yes, but he makes it because he's smart and fundamentally sound. He doesn't chase where he's not supposed to chase. And when he has contain, you always talk about when you're rushing contain, take the outside hip of the quarterback. Too many times you run right at the quarterback and they're able to get outside of you. He didn't let that happen. He made sure he stayed on the outside half of Lamar Jackson so he couldn't get outside of him because if Lamar Jackson got outside, it was over, right? He could have run in or, or maybe tossed it to Mark at that point. It was done. If he, gets, if he breaks contain, that game's done and Baltimore wins. T.J. Watt comes up with yet another fundamentally sound play, smart play, and makes him have to do a little more than they needed to do, and the game's for the Steelers. And the Steelers turn it around on Thursday night against the Vikings. The Ravens have the second half of their home-and-home with the Browns, who were off this weekend. And these games are going to get bigger and bigger as we get closer and closer to the end because the Ravens really need this one to hold off the Bengals. We'll talk about them coming up. And the Browns need this if they want to try to do what is expected of them this year. They have a, they're doing a bad job of living up to expectations they, when they're high. They do a good job of exceeding them when they're low. They were high this year, and the Browns are going to need that game on Sunday if they want to live up to their expectations. Uh, on, on the Ravens and their corners, Marlon Humphrey, there was a report from NFL Media he's believed to have a season-ending shoulder injury. I'm told they don't know exactly what it is. There's a lot of stuff in that shoulder. Is it the bone? Is it what? Is it this? They're going to defer to the MRI until they know for sure what the injury is. But regardless, they're expecting to not have him for an extended period of time. That's not good for the Ravens. They, hey, this time of year, though, Mike, guys are going to, guys are going to drop. And we'll see which teams have the depth. Next man up, coach them up, get them ready. And you just got to go forward with the guys you have. War of attrition like never before with 17 regular season games. Oh, it's, it's exactly right. I mean, who's, who's healthiest when we get to the playoffs? That's why, you know, just get in. Just get in. You never know what will happen. Wild cards have won Super Bowls before, and it's going to happen again. So where are you when you get in? And for Baltimore, Mike, in this offense, this is what, now four games in a row? They haven't put up 20 points? So this, you know, that, that's something we talked about in the AFC. Though, I will say, we're used to the last couple of years – Kansas City scoring 30-some points and in the 40s at times as well, and Buffalo every now and then doing that. We're not getting that now. So maybe when we talked about earlier in the year how everybody needed to outscore everybody else, and I know that sounds dumb, but I mean get in the 30s to have a chance to win, we may not be there this year. This has really been kind of an odd year. We may not be there this year where you get that one-off more often than not, you know, of in the 30s, but the norm may be less than that. 
be it because of, of attrition, of bad play, of defenses playing better, whatever the reason is, we're not getting the high-flying offenses on a consistent basis that we thought we might be getting in the AFC. Like I said, with Lamar Jackson, as exciting as he is in this offense, not 20 points in four games. He got sacked seven times. So O-line, that's on O-line. That's on Lamar holding on to the ball because you know he's going to because you know he can make a play. But they're just, they are just they don't have that, that kind of extra gear right now. And they can find it. I'm sure they can. So we'll see a higher scoring game. But we're not seeing it consistently out of the AFC teams this year. 14 weeks ago, as we were getting ready for the season, I know from my perspective, I thought all the great teams were in the AFC, and it was Tampa Bay and maybe just Tampa Bay coming out of the NFC. Now it feels like all the great teams, the best of the best, the Bucks, the Cardinals, the Packers would be the shortlist for me. The Rams have a chance if they can sustain what they did yesterday. But it feels like the best of the best are in the NFC this year, and the AFC is just still trying to figure itself out 13 weeks in. Yeah, listen, I, I completely agree. It, it's, it's a head-scratcher. And I know we'll even get into last night of, of Kansas City yet again. I mean, you just we, we don't find that. But, but the thing is, I, I know we will in certain games. And then everybody will think, okay, we've got it fixed. And then they play the next week, and they either lose or they don't score a lot, and they just pull out a, a close win. So it's – and I can't figure out why it's an odd year with all these teams. I, 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 I can't. I mean, obviously injury can be some, but the injuries happen every single year. We get the war of attrition every single year, and it's hit some teams harder than others. But for the life of me, I can't figure out why. Maybe if you want to say defenses are playing better, you could say that. Things can be cyclical. But I, I don't know the reason why we're seeing such an inconsistency in some of the better AFC teams putting points on the board. Well, the Bengals had an opportunity, although they didn't realize it at the time because their game was finished by the time we knew that the Ravens were going to lose. But the Bengals, who had won two in a row after losing two in a row, and we've seen a lot of that up and down this year from plenty of teams, they fall at home to the Chargers 41-22, to a final score that did not reflect how exciting and close that game was. The Chargers race out to a 24 to nothing lead. The Bengals come almost all the way back and get it to 24-22, and it kind of holds there for a while. And it feels like the Bengals are eventually going to bust through. And it was a fumble by Joe Mixon, returned by Tavon Campbell, 61 yards for a touchdown. That was kind of the moment that it broke open and it went back the Chargers way. But, you know, I can't figure out which Chargers team is the real team, which Bengals team is the real team. There's that moment where the ball came out and there goes Campbell. And you just feel there that the Chargers are going to win this game. And here they are at seven and five. I mean, what a difference for them between six and six and seven and five. And that's one of the things that Keenan Allen told me after the game. They understood that, you know, forget about the games you've lost. You look at what's in front of you. And what's in front of you is you get a win, you're in pretty damn good position. And they went and got it. You look at right now, and and I think the the most changed graphic we're ever going to see is the playoff picture every week just because of what we're talking about. And right now, they're sitting in the sixth and seventh slot, right? Which I think the Chargers are sixth and Cincinnati is seventh. And you want to talk about holding your breath of that not staying the same. 
the way we've seen this go. But I'm with you. Listen, 24-zip, you think this one is over. Cincinnati is out of their game plan. They're not getting back into this one. All of a sudden, the start of the fourth quarter is 24-22. So no matter what happened during that game, for players on the field, no matter what happened during that game, you're now in it. You know, you now have a game going into the fourth quarter. It is now a one-quarter game, forgetting everything else that happened. And it was, again, the Chargers that put up all the points uh, in the fourth quarter there like they did early in the game. We know Burrow popped his pinky on his throwing hand. They couldn't find a way to get it comfortable. He says it won't affect him going forward. We'll see how that goes. Joey Bosa leaves with a head injury. We have to wait and see how that goes. Again, as we talk about the war of attrition going on here. But you're right. I mean, I, I can't, from week to week, I can't figure it out. Of So they hold the sixth and seventh seed right now, but... Are we, are we making any kind of guarantee that they're going to be there next year I have no, or next week? I have no idea. That's been kind of how it's been in the AFC. But uh, that, I guess that game almost encapsulized the, the season. Go out to a big lead. Someone comes back. You think you got a game. And then it turns into a bit of a blowout again. You just, you just don't really know what's happening week to week. As to Bosa, one of the many nuggets that becomes almost impossible to fully and completely harvest in the aftermath of these games, he was cleared to return, but Coach Brandon Staley said, I'm not taking any chances with any of my players as long as I'm the coach of this team. He did not put him back in. Another example of how the NFL has dramatically changed in the past dozen years or so, that a guy's cleared, cleared medically to return, Mike, and the coach says, no, we're holding you out. That, that, that's impressive to me, uh, and that's definitely not the old-school mentality that uh, we, we, we came to know for, for a long time in the NFL. Oh, Mike, I, I mean, are you kidding? Coaches would do nothing, basically, but listen to the doctor. They had to, because if you're not cleared, he's not cleared. You're not going to do about it, even though, you know, back in the day you maybe tried a little bit. But if that doctor even gave you the hint that he was cleared, you know, he came to you and, like, was lighting up and smiling, like, okay, back in. Get back in the game. I mean, because the player wanted to go back in without question. That wasn't, that wasn't even a discussion. And as soon as the coach got the okay, it was like, good to go, let's go. It, it almost wasn't even, when the doctor told the coach, the coach didn't even have to ask the player. That was it. it was, he was back in the game. So this is where we are now. And listen, I, I, I'm not going to sit there and criticize. I'm not saying our way was the way it should be. This is where we are right now. If the coach, if, if he believes that he needs to keep his guy out for health reasons, then so be it. I would, I'm sure you're getting a little bit of a battle with a player uh, in that case of wanting to get back in the game. But to your point, it is much different. And again, in some ways different for the better, but it is definitely different of the way and the mentality that had gone on uh, years ago. Well, and the process for clearing the player to return today far more rigorous than it used to be so oh. it makes it even it makes <laughs> it even more understandable if the coach puts him back in because they're not going to clear him if there's any doubt whatsoever and even then even then the coach said I'm not putting him back in I mean that that's rare and uh now would he be, would he have done that if it was a playoff game and it was close and you know but but regardless it's I, I don't think I've heard a coach say that when it comes to the very high bar that now applies with the independent neurologists and the the spotters and everybody who's watching and making sure that guys are good to go when they're good to go they're good to go so uh, that was a surprise but uh, that that tells me that that Joey Bosa should be good to go 
for the next Chargers game. You mentioned Burrow's finger. Let's hear from him on that finger that you could see puff up and swell, and he was favoring it and trying to fight through it. And it really didn't seem like it affected him per se. The question is, does it affect him going forward? Here he is talking about it. And I dislocated it on that first series, on the sack fumble. Uh, so it was just something I had to play through. That's what football is. You got to play through some injuries sometimes. Yeah, that's just something I'm going to have to deal with. I'm not going to miss any games because of it. That's not not something that's going to happen. You know, Joe Burrow really is one of the tougher quarterbacks in the NFL, and he doesn't necessarily look it, and he doesn't sound like it, but. Yeah, he's going to line up and play, and he's going to do what needs to be done. And he's shown no fear whatsoever this year, even after the devastating knee injury as a rookie in Washington. And he's doing what he had to do. And I, you know, I wondered what was going on because there was a point early where he's sitting next to that trash can, and his hand was down in it. So I assume it's full of ice, not trash. But uh, unless uh, I don't know, <laughs> unless he dro- unless he dropped something in there that he was trying to get out. But uh, I wondered what was going on, and as the game went on, we saw that that uh, pinky just get you know thicker and more swollen, and you know. And Drew Brees explained last night how important the pinky is because he said the one finger that doesn't matter when you're a quarterback is the ring finger. That's just the one that's there for the ride. The pinky helps you establish your grip and and complete your grip on the ball as you start the process of getting rid of it. So even though even though Ronnie Lott may have a different view on the relevance of the pinky, quarterbacks regard the pinky as incredibly important to what they do. Listen, I look at it as as a pitcher, you know, when a pitcher gets even a blister on their on their finger and you sit there and say, wait a minute, there's a, a pro athlete missing a game because of a blister? Well, yeah. If you're a pitcher, the way your fingers are used on a ball, that's going to happen. Same with a quarterback and the ball. That, that, that's why I was you know, definitely impressed with that. You know, because I would just, you know, we've done this. Just about every player's done this. You tape your finger to the next finger or whatever. But for a quarterback, it's a different ball game because they have a feel for the ball that they need to have. So it's different. But for those that don't know, guys do this all. Guys pop their fingers back in all the times. Or if you're a little squeamish, you get your teammate to pop your finger back in. And if your teammate's a little squeamish, then you got to go let the you know the team doctor or somebody on the sideline pop it back in. But normally somebody pops it back in pretty quickly so you don't have to miss a play. You try and just do it on the field. It just looks ugly and weird at the time, but it usually pops back in pretty easy. If you take a couple of tugs at it and it doesn't go back in, then, you know, I guess you better go let a professional do it. But we all play doctor on the field every now and then. <laughs> they, they, uh, uh, they, they, they pop the finger back in, and then you get the retired guys who have the fingers that are pointing in every direction except the way that they should. That's when they need to be popped back in. Yeah. You don't, exactly I don't, you right. don't have I mean, any of Anthony those. Anthony Munoz, how many times you see his finger? No. You, you, I, you got out of I it don't. without, without, a, without I, I, a crazy I, I, finger. I, I, I did. I, I broken the thumbs. I popped some fingers, but I, I yes, I've got nothing sideways like an Anthony Munoz with the fingers pointing sideways. Or you're right, guys' fingers are all gnarled up. But you know that was that was just like I said. You just you just kind of did it because you didn't really think it was much. And for for basically every position on the field, it's not. But for a quarterback, it is. It definitely is. So it will. And you're right. That thing will blow up. That's why you just tape it usually to the next finger, you know, and try and so it, it, it can't move independently and, and pop out again. But, you know, if he's not comfortable doing that, throwing the ball, which, which he wasn't or didn't, had it, you know, the regular way, 
then, then that's, but he's going to go through the swelling and have to get the swelling down and go through the pain up and all that. And, uh, and sounds like he's going to be good to go. But uh, yeah, a finger, a pinky finger on a quarterback and any other person on the field is two different pinky fingers. There, there aren't a bunch of guys that have that gnarled up finger, but I can like, I know the list at any given time. Brian Baldinger, Anthony Munoz. Torrey Holt's got one of them, too. You wouldn't expect a receiver to have it, but, you know, if you're catching those lasers all the time and you're getting jammed up with defensive backs, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much to get a finger screwed up, and it's amazing it doesn't happen more often to quarterbacks when you're throwing against oncoming pressure and you're throwing your hand into it, it. It really is amazing. There aren't more finger, thumb, wrist injuries for quarterbacks. Uh, given the forces involved and yeah. uh, when it happens you know they do what they have to do to see if they can play with it oh I agree I mean l- listen Drew Brees right there we saw what happened to him when, it, when his thumb hit and missed six weeks it, it 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 definitely happens more than we think it's just maybe you don't get the injury along with it but I mean we we gotta we gotta hold on and ask you Mike we've been together now for more than a few weeks and I've heard of a litany of injuries that have you gone through as a child and as an adult have you ever popped a finger well, now, now your hands, for all the years you played in the NFL, your hands are perfectly normal. I mean, you can tell. See my, see my uh, middle finger on my left hand? That one there? See how? Look, look at that. Yes. I'm the one that's got the jacked up finger. See that? You know what that's from? What'd you do? That is from, well, and, I, and I, I'd like to isolate it, but that would get us in trouble. If I would curl the other three down, that would be a problem. That is from yeah. pickup basketball. And trying to swat at the ball and stoving it, you know, when the ball hits it just right, and and it happened, I don't know, 50 times over the course of 10 years, and the capsule, somebody told, a doctor told me one time the capsule broke, and it just, that's the way it's going to be. So so imagine that. Your hands are perfect, and mine's jacked up, and uh, that's not the way it, it should be. At least mine isn't pointing like, you know, that way <laughs> or that way. I'm glad that's not the case. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, spinning it forward, the Chargers have the Giants at home this weekend, which is good news for them as they try to get to 8-5. and five. The bad news for the Bengals is they try to get in, to 8-5. and five. The 49ers, in a rematch of Super Bowl 16-23, and 23, the 49ers at the Bengals, and the 49ers a little more desperate after losing to the Seahawks on Sunday. That, that all of a sudden, and that's a late afternoon game next week, that all of a sudden is a pretty good game. It's going to be going on the same time as Bill's Bucks. 49ers-Bengals may actually be, I'm not going to say better game, but as compelling and as meaningful and impactful on the playoff seedings as Bill's Buccaneers will be. Um, Let's move to the Sunday night game, the Chiefs and the Denver Broncos, a game that was flexed into Sunday night in favor of the Seahawks-49ers game. And look, the the Broncos had been 6-5. The Broncos have a defense that has worked from time to time against Patrick Mahomes. They, they, their offense has been better than expected this year. This was a moment for Teddy Bridgewater to kind of establish himself, and yada, 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 it didn't go that way for the Denver Broncos. The Chiefs continue to work their way out of that early season hole and continue to establish themselves as what we expected them to be, one of the, one of the best teams in the AFC, Mike. Oh, yeah. I mean, so every, every leading team now, in, the, in I believe, in the AFC, like I said, has, they're, they're sitting at eight and four. And I don't know, are they taking over this division because they're 
a great team or are they taking over this division because this division is just kind of all over the place? You know, we know the hot start that obviously the Raiders had that certainly uh, has cooled off here. Uh, we see what the Chargers have, have done. Uh, we just talked about that, obviously. Um, and, and Denver, what, what direction were they going to go? You know, it was a defensive-led team without question. And, you know, you gave up, what, 20, 22 points last night. in the worst thing in the world, but your offense, obviously your offense didn't play that well. Plus, the Kansas City defense, which had been awful, awful earlier in the year, they have certainly turned it around. That's been as important as anything else. Everybody head-scratching over the fact that, you know, uh, Patrick Mahomes doesn't throw for over 200 yards, or Patrick Mahomes has already doubled his interception total from last year. But you got to look at that, at that defense and what they're doing right now. Three turnovers, three fourth down stops, uh, one pick six, and, you know, to, to help seal the win, uh, they got toward the end of the game. So it's that defense that has really kind of been stepping up well for Kansas City as Kansas City still tries to get a hold of that offense. You know, they obviously they ran the ball decent last night. Um, but I, I, I just, we, we keep wondering, are you going to, are you going to be that team again? You know, is it going to happen? Actually, they didn't. I'm sorry. It was my, my bad. They did not run the ball uh, well last night. So you're still looking for the big play on offense. Mahomes just throws for 184 yards in this one and has another interception. So it, when they put up, I think, 40-something a couple few weeks ago and basically declared like, okay, we're back now. We fixed it. I think we were all like, hold on. You know, it, it, it's not just going to come back like that. And it isn't. You may get a, we talked about it then, you may get a one-off like that every now and then. Uh, but for the most part, you're kind of seeing what you're seeing here. This offense is playing okay right now, which, see, which when you say that is really underachieving given the talent that the offense has, uh, that they are underachieving. But again, kudos to the defensive side of the ball to step up. And I still can't believe Denver had, what, a 20-play drive? What was it, a 20-play drive, almost 12 minutes, and came away with nothing? I didn't come away with no points on a drive that long. It blows my mind. When I was going to ask you about that, that drive began early in the second quarter. 12-16 left before halftime. Kansas City up 10-3. It's that drive that went all the way down to 109. And on fourth and two from the Chiefs' eight, the Broncos went for it with a run up the middle. They got stoned, and... And, and it, it, this is the tension between old school and analytics. And I can understand when you're inside the opponent's 10 and you go for it on fourth down there in the normal course of the game, the reasoning for that is they're not going to take a lot of chances offensively. You're going to get the ball back again, most likely on a punt with a fairly short field. But when there's a minute left and a half, that's, that's not a factor. I think just psychologically going into the locker room 10 to 6 – is more of a lift than 10 to 3. And they, they went for all of it. They wanted it to be 10 to 10. I get it. But I, I just think to put all that work in, all that effort in, hold the ball for that long, and to come up with nothing and to go into the locker room 10 3, that was kind of a psychological blow that the Broncos couldn't recover from. Yeah, that, that, that's a tough call. And I can see Vic Fangio. Listen, that, that guy's been around for a while. You know, for him to maybe have the thought process of, we just went 19 plays, we're inside the 10, we're going to pay this thing off. You know, we're not going to settle for a field goal. We're going to try and get seven. We put too much effort into this drive. So there can be an argument on that side, but the other side is, man, 
take the points. You know, when you can get the points, to take the points. And to go in, I, I agree, 10-6. And I know you wanted everybody would the, for the Denver side would want it to be 10-10. I, I, I certainly would have taken the points there. I'd get any points I can at any point in the game that you can. But, you know, that mentality of, man, 19 plays, we've driven this far, let's finish this thing in the end zone. I could see that as well. And I could see the players wanting to do that on the offensive side of the ball. They were the ones that were out there for 19 plays to say, let's try and finish this, this thing off with a touchdown. The Broncos have found something in Javante Williams, first rookie in franchise history to have 100 or more rushing yards and more than 75 receiving yards in a single game. And he had the opportunity last night with Melvin Gordon out, and he's clearly becoming one of the best options that offense has. But you know what, Mike? And this is something Peter King spent some time writing about in his Football Morning in America column, which you can get at profootballtalk.com. It's clear that the Broncos are going to be back to the drawing board again when it comes to quarterback. They may be back to the drawing board when it comes to coach because they have a GM who didn't hire Vic Fangio, frankly. But quarterback is going to be equally, if not more, important. They got to go somewhere. They got to do something. Remember, they were one of the teams linked to Aaron Rodgers. And what a difference that would be in Denver if they could get him, even if it's just for a few years on the back end of his career. Yeah, listen, they're, they're, the quarterback in the future is not on their roster. I think we all know that right now. And their, their inability to find a quarterback, you know, we've seen a few teams uh, over, the, over the years in, with that problem, and they're, they're one of them, to not be able to find a quarterback that you can count on. Uh, so they're going to have to redo it, whether it's with a new coach or not. We'll have to wait and see. But I'm with you on Javante Williams. I covered him at North Carolina when he was in a two-back system there. You know, and here in a two-back system with Melvin Gordon. But when he gets a chance to do it on his own, he shines. Also had six catches out of the backfield for over 75 yards and a touchdown as well. So he's a dual threat back, and he's a hard, hard runner. I did the Cleveland-Denver game a few weeks ago, and just he, I, I loved watching him run at college, calling those games, and I love what he's doing right now. Again, you see more of two-back systems nowadays than you had in the past, and I get it. But uh, he really had a chance to shine yesterday, and he did it, as I said, with over 100 yards rushing and over 75 yards receiving. So a nice individual effort for him. Especially against that Chiefs defense, which has gotten better and better and had three total turnovers last night, three fourth down stops, including a stop of Javante Williams, the one we already discussed, and a pick six. The Chiefs offense, I'm looking at the Mahomes stat line. When I see 15 for 29 for 184 yards, an interception, and a rushing touchdown. My question is, what did he do in the second half? But that was the full game. And it's become perfunctory to check the box and say, let's hear from Mahomes talking about the struggles of the offense. So let me check the box and say, let's hear from Mahomes talking about the struggles of the Kansas City offense. Yeah, I think I've, I've learned kind of as my career has gone on that you can't get caught up in like the hype and like the show uh, of playing. I've been in a lot of football games where we scored a lot of points and lost. And I'm, I promise you when, you, when you win football games like this, it feels a lot better. Um, and so I, I think, I, I don't know if that's just kind of with experience, um, but I kind of preached that to these guys when they were kind of running the ball and trying to wait, uh, really grind the clock through. I said, don't let that affect how we play. Let's continue to just execute and go out there and get put points on the board because our defense is our defense defense is playing the way that they're playing um, and so you have to learn how to manage games you have to learn how to win football games whenever it's not pretty and I think we've done a great job of that this season you know that idea of keeping Mahomes on the sideline next to the Gatorade bucket was the only way to defend him until the Patriots provided the or- original hints of the blueprint in the 2018 AFC championship game and if, if if you were to say to him 
Name game number one where you scored a lot of points and didn't win that kind of proves what you're saying. It would be the AFC Championship from 2018. Now, ultimately, they lost the coin toss in overtime, and the, the Patriots won it. But keeping him on the sideline is key. But even when he's on the field now, the defense is to figure out how to force him to be patient. And I, I still think he's fighting that desire to to let it fly down the field, even when the defense is giving him more easy opportunities underneath, Mike. Well, I think like anything else, it's never one thing, you know, that you can just say, oh, yeah, that's the thing, whether he's uncomfortable, you know, taking what the defense gives him. Understand also yesterday there were a lot of drops. Receivers were dropping balls uh, as well. So that makes your stat line look a little worse uh, than it probably should be as well. So you have drops. You have him as if he's not as comfortable. The run game. Uh, isn't working the way they would like to work. So for for a team that's basically their offense has been running like a machine, the machines, uh, some of the gears have been maybe stripped a little bit or or not not as running as smooth uh, as has been. And also you have to give credit to defenses as well. They don't just stand idle and say, wow, we're playing Kansas City. They're going to they're gonna score 45 points. We better try and score that many as well. You're going to try and stop them. You know, you're going to do things. That's why everybody's talking about how, you know, playing a lot more cover two against them. You're going to adjust. You're going to try and make them be more uncomfortable because they're used to making you feel uncomfortable. So it's a number of those things. You know, can Patrick Mahomes stay at that high level as consistently and long? Uh, you know, long. Long is a relative term. It's been a couple of years. You know, long is Tom Brady, you know, and Aaron Rodgers and such. You know, this has been a couple of years, but I mean, it has been like shooting star greatness. I don't think Patrick Mahomes is broken. I don't think Patrick Mahomes is done being a great quarterback in the NFL, but they have to adjust to what's going on right now from the defenses being played uh, by other teams to how they're executing on offense by either him making a wrong decision or holding the ball too long or his receivers dropping the ball or the O-line not having some great run blocking. It's, it's a team effort. It is jarring to look at the stats, the team stats from the game, and see total offense numbers of 404 and 267 and realize the Broncos were the ones with 404 and the Chiefs had 267. But I will give them this. They had 24 runs to 29 passes, which is not something we're accustomed to from an Andy Reid offense. Maybe that's one of the benefits of the bye week and having the extra time. He could really tell himself, we're gonna run, we really are going to run the ball, even though Clyde Edwards-Alaire has yet to live up to the promise that we saw in that very first game, his debut 2020, the Thursday night game against the Texans, and he had over 100 rushing yards. Like, ah, he's, they got their guy. He's, he has struggled to, to get to that level, but last night, 54 rushing yards, 28 receiving yards for Edwards-Alaire. That's something they're going to because they just need somebody other than Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be Byron Pringle or Demarcus Robinson or Josh Gordon, who they're still waiting for him to do something in that offense. It can be Clyde Edwards Alaire. They they just haven't got to the point where I think they can consistently count on him, Mike. No, listen, I agree. Having that 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 next person is a key thing. But also, I think what's helping them right now as well, Mike, is the defense. So while you're finding your way on offense, and, and, and they are finding a new way on offense, I mean, I, I think we all we all understand that. What keeps you in games right now? You still expect greatness out of Pat Mahomes, but you don't get it as often as you got it in the past. And again, as I just talked about, it's a combination of things. 
But while that's going on, your defense is playing better. And that's key. And that's going to be really key come to the playoffs. Once you get to the bad weather and such as your defense playing better, they're forcing turnovers. Now, that's something you can't count on every game. It's on our goal sheet for every game to force X amount of turnovers. But sometimes they can be hard to come by and sometimes they come in bunches. Uh, you just don't know. But if that defense can keep playing well, again, maybe they're not winning games, you know, 38-33. You know, maybe they're winning them 22-9, to you know, or 24-20, to you know, or 20-17. to But that's okay. Again, this isn't a 13-person committee where we just saw them pick the final four for college football playoffs. This is just get the win, baby. Just get the win and move on to next week. I really am stunned by the failure of Josh Gordon to get to the point where the Chiefs wanted him to be. When he first joined the team, Patrick Mahomes told me after one of their wins that that he's so excited. The guy's got a great work ethic. He's got a great. He started last night's game. I don't understand this. Maybe it was a personnel grouping thing, but he was one of the two starting receivers to begin the game, but was only on the field for 13 snaps and wasn't targeted a single time all night long. So not working out the way that they thought it would, but I think they keep waiting and waiting and hoping maybe, you know, by the time the playoffs roll around, they start getting something from Josh Gordon. Let's go ahead and take a break. There was a wild game in the NFC West between two teams that not that long ago ruled the division, both scratching and clawing to be relevant this year. The 49ers at the Seahawks will tell you about that one when PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Yeah, that was one of the wildest games I've ever been a part of. Just like the first half was absolutely crazy. I was talking to Diggs about that. I was like, I've never been a part of a game like this from the fake punt to safeties to turnovers. It was a wild first half. And then one of a hell of a way to end the game, right? <clears throat> stop him on the one, go 96 yards, and then stops on fourth down. Crazy. San Francisco 49ers, just as they were getting themselves back into it, Mike. They end up losing in Seattle to a Seahawks team that had lost six out of seven, 
three in a row since Russell Wilson returned from his finger injury that some would say maybe he came back a little too quickly. Maybe he hasn't been the guy that he used to be. That that offense was so bad on Monday night. It it, it was just embarrassingly bad. Um, and uh, they, they found a way. They did what they had to do, and they pull off the victory 30 to 23. Mike Golick, by the way, has not fallen asleep. His his picture was frozen. I kept looking up saying, Mike, you, go, you okay? Mike, you with us? He's his he, we, we, we have a minor technical difficulty, and we will have Mike Golick back soon. Um, the 49ers at one point were leading that game 23 to 14, and that's when the Seahawks kind of woke up and worked their way back into it, got it to 23 to 21 on a D Eskridge touchdown catch from Russell Wilson. And then Jimmy Garoppolo sacked in the end zone for a safety by Carlos Dunlap. That's what tied it up. And then later in the third quarter, Tyler Lockett from Russell Wilson, 30 to 23. And, and that's when the scoring ended. That's what was weird about it with 228 left in the third quarter, the scoring was done and it was just, See if you can hold them off after that. And the Seahawks were able to hold off the 49ers who really needed that victory. And Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, it was one of those days where you're reminded why they went out and got Trey Lance. And Trey Lance was trending during the game, which means that the 49ers fans were starting to wonder, when are we going to see some Trey Lance? That's the problem with having given up so much for a guy that you're not using. When your starter isn't playing well, Mike, your fans are going to clamor loudly for the young guy to be put in the game. Well, well, they are. Listen, the, what they always say, the most popular player is the backup quarterback. But when the backup quarterback's a high draft pick, then it's like everybody is just waiting for that opportunity to say, okay, put him in. And we saw, obviously, earlier in the year he got put in because uh, of injury to Garoppolo with, with his calf. And, you know, if he played well enough to take the job then who knows what would have happened but as we've talked about this is a guy we believe has a pretty high ceiling but he hasn't played a lot of college he hasn't played in a long time so the expectation at least in my opinion that he was going to come in to an NFL system even though NFL systems have been way more college quarterback friendly than they have in the past and Trey was going to to beat him out I think was a was a long shot now, potentially down the road, could it turn out to be a better quarterback? I mean, certainly the 49ers hope so. You don't take a guy that high uh, and, 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 and don't want him to be, you know, as good or better than the guy he's replacing. That's obviously why you got him. So that those chants are going to continue. And, you know, listening to, to Kittle at the, the soundbite coming back in, boy, he's right. What a weird game. What a great fake punt, by the way. It's phenomenal by Seattle on the long touchdown there, but a game that this really was kind of a wild game and then they have it end the way it did. Yeah, you had the 49ers. Well, let, let's take a look at Travis Homer and off he goes with that fake punt. Scoreless early on, just the kind of thing that gives a team that needs a spark a spark. That's the kind of thing you do yeah. when you have been struggling and when you feel like nothing's working. Hey, if our or if our regular offense doesn't work, Let's do a fake punt. And any fake Brandon I Oh, Brandon Ayuk with the right to that. Get out of my way. Too late, Brandon. You get it too late to make the tackle. But yeah. the Seahawks get off on the right foot. And it, at the end of the game, the Seahawks were in position 
to to blow it open 37-23 if they would have scored the touchdown and that's when the 49ers stopped them with a fumble drove it all the way down and it came down to a fourth down play they could have forced overtime or who knows maybe the 49ers would have gone for two and tried to get the walk-off win as opposed to taking the Seahawks to overtime but you know I, I suppose it was just a matter of time before Seattle woke up I mean just like with Pittsburgh two teams two teams that were used to seeing be very good that had just fallen apart to the point where you can't believe in them in any given game, even though in any given game they can. They're capable. It's possible they rise up and do what they each did yesterday, beat a division rival, a very heated rivalry, show up and get the victory at home. Well, I mean, listen, they they swept them, right? I mean, and for a Seattle team that's not going to be in the playoffs – you know, there's certainly going to be pain in somebody else's side who's trying to make the playoffs. In this case, San Francisco, you know, sitting on the right at that, that seventh slot right now. But as we said, we know how that's going to change. But you're right. I think that's where Seattle is this year. Just good enough to mess up somebody else. Because, as I said, they're, they're not going to be there. At least I don't believe they are. Now, I know they brought in Adrian Peterson, uh, who, who had a touchdown run, by the way, and and now tied with uh, Jim Brown with 126 rushing touchdowns for 10th all time because Pete Carroll said we're in to win now. I just don't think they're going to be good enough to win now and get to the playoffs, but they're going to be good enough to win every now and then to mess somebody up and and to get the sweep now of San Francisco and to do it with a goal line stand the way they did uh, toward the end of the game is obviously a great way to do it, but it still begs the question of, okay, every now and then you see a flash from Seattle of, what moves they'll make next year to try and get them. Because they, they certainly don't want to, you know, retool, you know, or rebuild. They just, I should say, they don't want to rebuild. They just want to kind of retool and keep going, especially if the big, biggest question out there is Russell Wilson going to be part of that team. Because if he's going to be part of that team, that's, that's a reason to say we're in it to win now. He's an older quarterback who's still playing some really good ball. Uh, so you want to put a good team around him. So how quick can the turnaround be in Seattle? And the other question is, will Pete Carroll be back as head coach of the team? One of the reports that emerged over the weekend from NFL media was that Jody Allen, the owner of the team, inherited the property along with the rest of the late Paul Allen's sports and other holdings. She's not happy with the direction of the team, so there could be some changes. You mentioned Peterson, though, and I'm a big Adrian Peterson guy, one of the all-time greats, and I'm amazed every time he ends up with another team. His stat line for yesterday, even though he gave us the highlight with the touchdown, 11 carries for 16 yards with a long of seven. That means that he had, other than the seven-yarder, he had 10 carries for nine yards. That's, that's not the kind of punch that the Seahawks are looking for in their offense, but uh, he's always capable. You never know when he's – you never bet against the guy. You never know what he's going to do. And and one of the reasons that they signed him, Pete Carroll told reporters this on Friday, his work ethic, his attitude, it's a good influence on this group of young running backs that, that can't seem to develop consistency and performance the way they're accustomed to it from the days of Marshawn Lynch, Mike. Yeah, but he, he's kind of a, listen, we, we know where he's going to be at the end of his career. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame. But he's also a guy right now, let's talk about the now, he's not going to give you that consistent, you know, big game. And, and nor I don't think that's the expectation. So if that doesn't happen, I don't think people are going to say, oh, wow, I'm disappointed in, in what Adrian Peterson is doing. He's going to come in. He's going to hopefully score from the goal line, maybe give you a big run every now and then, make a big play every now and then. 
But for the most part, I think you're going to see that. You're going to see a very, you know, X amount of carries for a very low average with the hope and the fingers crossed that he busts one or gets into the end zone. I think that that's kind of where we are with Adrian. Yeah, and, and that, that, that's what everybody expects at this point. And the Seahawks just need to do something, although people reacted to it like, it's a little, it's got a little of the, I said this last week, a little of the rearranging of the deck chairs on the Titanic feel to it for the Seahawks. But whatever they did last week, it worked. They got the victory that they needed. They got a long way to go. They're four and eight. They still have a chance, though. They still have a chance. This is the first week that they didn't talk about running the table. But they still have a chance to get to the right side of 500. And every year since 2012, they have finished above 500. Even the year that they didn't get to the playoffs, they were still 9-7. and seven. So they could still get to 9-8. and eight. And in the NFC, Mike, when you look at that playoff picture, who knows what is going to get you in? Is it going to be 8-9 and nine as the 7 seed? Is it going to be 7-10 and 10 as the 7 seed with like a 7-way like tiebreaker? We just don't know. For as crazy as the top of the AFC currently is, and really top to bottom, that scrum, that race for spots six and seven, you could even throw five in there, although it's going to be Arizona or the Rams, I think, at five. The scrum for six and seven is nuts, and the 49ers are in it, and technically the Seahawks are in it. They don't even fit on the screen. Yeah, I, the Seahawks are 4 They're not even on the screen. Yeah, they're not even on the screen. Yeah. You, you, you may have more confidence in them than me. I don't see them winning four of their last five or five of their last five. I, I don't think they're going to make it. I think there's too many teams for them to jump. But to your point, I completely agree. That's six, seven. I mean, we may see that change on a weekly basis. When we show this graphic, it may look – I'd like to know when we first started showing it to the last of the season how many times that thing has changed. Now, I know it changes every year, but, man, this year it just does seem wild. And you're right. Is it an 8-9 and nine team, you know, is in that seventh slot this year? Or is it a 9-8 and eight team? Normally, it's, it's kind of been that way for the last team in the playoffs, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because we have seen wild cards win it, so just get in. Yes or no? Knee-jerk reaction. Do you think the 49ers get one of the spots? No. Knee-jerk reaction is no. Yeah. I, think, I, I, I just don't think they're consistent enough to – well, yeah. I, I, I guess not being consistent would fit for the seventh slot, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's right. And then that team that hasn't been consistent all year can get hot and run the table, although I don't think the 49ers have the quarterback to run the table because the quarterback at some point is going to betray you just like yesterday, whether it's sacking the end zone or the failure to, to get the touchdown on the final drive. It, you, 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 if you're going to be one of those teams that has to do it the hard way, and we've seen several teams do it over the years the hard way, like the Giants in 2007. They had to do it the hard way, go on the road every game, and they had a great quarterback, right. and they got it done. Made one of the all-time great throws in NFL history to get it done. Aaron Rodgers, 2010, they had to do it the hard way in Green Bay as the sixth seed. They got Aaron Rodgers. And last year, Tom Brady having to go on the road every week. you got to have a great quarterback if you're going to go on the road every week and expect to win and win and win and win. Let's go ahead and take a break. Superlatives time when this Monday edition of Pro Football Talk Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? 
Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.